Hi, I'm Richard Deitch, host of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Maggie Gray, host of The Gray Area. Hi, I'm Ted Keith, host of the SI Vault Podcast. For more than 60 years, Sports Illustrated has championed its brand of quality sports journalism. Now SI has a new partnership, one that helps us tell the stories that matter to your life through today's mobile channels. So as of today, all 11 Sports Illustrated podcasts are joining the Panoply Network with more new titles on the way soon. Visit SI.com slash podcasts for more info. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello from the Slate Studios in Washington, D.C., and welcome to Podcast for America, a show from Panoply about the extended work of postmodern performance art that is a presidential campaign cycle. I'm Annie Lowry, a contributing editor for New York Magazine, and with me here in Washington is Mark Leibovich, the chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. Hey, Mark. Hi. <laughs> and joining us from an undisclosed location is Alex Wagner of MSNBC. Hey, Alex. Hello from the newest planet in the solar system, guys. <laughs> wow, you sound remote and exotic. That's all I'm going to say. Very thin oxygen here, so get ready for some interesting commentary. So first up on this show, Washington, D.C. has turned into rumorville. There's more and more speculation that Vice President Joe Biden might run for president. He just hired a new comms director. That and other tea leaves could point to an upcoming big announcement. Next, Congress is out for the summer and journalists are hungry for news, pawing at every glimmering, sparkling, shiny story possibility. We'll talk about Trump and a very special Iowan who is trying to out-Trump Trump. His name is Deez Nuts. <laughs> Finally, on a more serious note. What could be more serious than that? Yeah, no, what could be more serious Ooh, China. than Ooh, China, go, testicles? China. I, so, see the, <laughs> I see the script. The S&P 500 finished down 4% at the top of this week, 9% over five days. China, Europe, Japan, all of these markets down. What does that mean for our candidates, D's Nuts included? <laughs> we'll wrap up with a new philosophical segment where we ask deep questions like, what can we learn about the American voter by thinking about Burning Man? I like it. <laughs> I like it. I also like the sort of the market watch kind of vibe at the end of that, like that, or what you were saying before. I mean, like, we're going to do a traffic report next week. We got to do a traffic <laughs> we, I'm report. ready to do the weather report whenever you guys want it. Totally. On the ones with On Alex. One. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Getting into it. Vice President Joe Biden. The White House indicated that Obama might endorse him, saying that kind of maybe sort of in so many words. Maybe that's really like way harsh for Hillary. Mark, what the hell is going on? Well, I mean, fuck the new comms director. I mean, he, he you know, is the vice president. I mean. I, I, Kate Bedenfield is her name. I, no disrespect <laughs> to her. I mean, the vice president, a lame duck vice president needs a comms director. So Everybody hiring, needs a comms director. I know I do. I uh, definitely but the, do. We yeah. all do. And we all do. We can be each other's comms directors. But I think, you know, hiring her at this point, you know, obviously is somewhat significant because he needed one. But the bigger significant thing is this week, uh, Josh Ernest in his daily briefing, he was asked about whether he would support Joe Biden, basically, if he were to throw his hat into the ring. And the, the usual blow-off answer to something like that is is pretty pretty familiar, which is, well, you know, the president is going to watch and see, and we have a lot of good candidates and blah, blah, blah. But he pretty much leaned into this, and, and he said that picking Joe Biden as his running mate in 2008 and making him his vice president was the best decision he's made. He said a few things that made it sound like he absolutely 
seem to have a preference for Joe Biden over Hillary Clinton. And when the press secretary weighs in on this, you know that there's some thought behind this because these are people who do not choose their words uncarefully. So I thought that was pretty amazing. I don't know. I was kind of like, wait, did he actually mean to get out over his skis like that? Did you get the sense that this was like at all even like a 10 percent gap? Okay, first off, I was wondering how desperate we would get in the August news cycle that a Josh Ernest comment at the White House press briefing would actually be news and something we discussed. And we have reached <laughs> to that point, Americans. So I guess we should rejoice or throw some salt over our shoulders. Mark, <laughs> I think that this is Josh Ernest trying to thread that I have a very, very small needle between voicing White House, what I know is a very real friendship between those two men, a real sense mm. of admiration and a real unbelievable sense of profound empathy for what Joe Biden has gone through with the loss of Bo, a sensitivity around that and not wanting to sort of dismiss what by all accounts was one of Bo's final wishes, which is that mm -hmm. his dad would run for, for office. But from what I understand from unnamed White House sources, Ooh. there is a real sense that a Biden candidacy would be sort of be a disaster and potentially throw the White House into Republican hands and unwind the president's legacy. And hmm. as they are strategists there, I think that the sense is give Biden some space to sort of entertain this idea. But at the end of the day, I mean, it has to be Hillary. Wow. That is that is okay. the, the sense that I have gotten from completely off the record conversations. OK, well, we won't tell anyone then because it's off the record. But, yeah, um, <laughs> it's basically off the record. I mean, yeah, we're talking. This is actually a very private discussion in some ways. Yeah, right? I mean, that's, that's between how, the three of us. That's how yes. intimate the podcast for America. Let me let me be clear, because I am at, at certain points in my life a reporter and it wasn't off the record as is as, as it was sort of delineated. This is off the record, Alex, but off the record in so far as it was a casual they have, they, these sure. have been casual conversations and not reported pieces. Like on the one hand, I, I agree that he's probably not the candidate that Hillary Clinton is. I also thought that there was like a weird backhanded thing against, you know, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in the comments on Monday. But, you know, like line of the Senate, unbelievably popular politician, a guy who's run for president before, a man who is maybe not willing to give his political career up. Like, how crazy is this? All, all those things are true. I, I think, though, it is notable. When's the last time Josh Mer Ernest made any news? <laughs> Whether yeah. in August, July, May, February, or what have you. I mean, Robert Gibbs made news occasionally. Yeah. Jay Carney made, made news occasionally. I mean, this, from what I can tell, and, and I don't think we're just straining for August news. The sense is that Josh Ernest is, by virtue of that, a very good press secretary, precisely because he doesn't make news, right? It is like fucking torture. It's just like it's like wrestling paper clips from a very powerful desk magnet. <laughs> Interesting. I'm I'm always one to poo-poo conspiracy theories, or at least reading too deeply into tea leaves. But I saw this as significant. I don't know. I'm not saying it's insignificant. I guess what all I'm saying is I think Ernest has a really fine line to walk between not yeah. being disrespectful, between also showing support for the man. And maybe, I mean, also just strategically, God, if he is staffing up, you know, if he is going to make a, a run for it, to not completely dismiss that at the outset. At the same time, I think their thinking, their calculus is that Hillary 
has a better chance at keeping the White House in, in Democratic hands, which is of utmost importance to them. Yeah. Right. And notably, this tea leaf is coming after a couple other more significant tea leaves, right? So Joe Biden met with Elizabeth Warren. Yes. I can't remember. That who, is crazy. Who leaked that? Was that the Warren people? Or was Probably that... Joe Biden himself leaked that. <laughs> he got a, he got a pay Hunter phone. Hunter Biden and... or this new comms director yeah. or, or someone. Oh, gosh. Can Joe I'm... Biden be comms director of the White House? Can oh, Joe God. Biden... He'd be oh, the worst. Goodness. He'd be <laughs> the best dash worst. I can imagine that Joe Biden is going home to the observatory tonight and is watching Josh Ernest's comments over and over and over <laughs> and over deep into the night while Donald Trump sits in his luxury apartment yeah. in the sky tweeting. The other palace intrigue here is the relationship between the Clinton and the Biden camps. Yeah. Seems, I mean, oh. I'm just wondering, is anyone from the Clinton camp reaching out to the Biden camp? I mean, is that how for I didn't think those relations were frosty, Mark. Did you? Uh, no, well, there was always a veneer of warmth. I mean, Hillary and Joe had their chummy little breakfast at the uh, Naval Observatory every Tuesday. You know, they always had a fondness for each other. But supposedly the a lot of the family conversations around the Biden dinner table or wherever it is the Bidens talk. I don't, I don't pretend to know. It's the same dissatisfaction. It's the same, frankly, uninspired uh, response to Hillary Clinton's early months of the campaign. And that might be driving this a little bit, too. But look, I mean, Joe Biden, like any politician, but especially Joe Biden, wants to be a player. And he's said all along, beginning you know, many years ago, that either you're, you're going up or you're moving down. And the worst thing a politician can be seen as is someone who is on a last hurrah, and he wants to probably hold that off for as long as possible. Yeah. He is an ideal vice president. Like, if she chose him as vice president, sorry, I know that I'm, I'm now just throwing out random jobs that we should give to <laughs> Joe Biden. What, vice president? Again? Dog catcher? Yeah, but like, seriously. Good. There's never been a vice president to serve more than eight years. Man, that's like be agreeing to be someone's fiance twice after they break up with you. <laughs> you know, I know people that. like that. You got played once. What is that old George Bush added? Fool me once. Shame on you. Say, fool me twice. Shame on me again. I don't remember whatever he said. But I mean, we're talking about two different presidents, right? If you don't get to be president after your vice president, you don't go for vice president again. If I saw Biden Clinton ticket, I'd think like, wait, what year is this again? And yeah. I, I guess I just I, I wonder one of the things Hillary says she's going to be good at. We'll see if she is elected is a relationship with Congress. Um, yeah. And, and so that, you know, Biden would be doubling down on a strength that she proposes she already has, which is why I think the campaign probably wants someone young and full of yeah. vitality. She can have her pick of two-term vice presidents to choose from. Oh, man, Clinton-Cheney? That would be... No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> that would be out of control. But Clinton, really, yeah, she has three, yeah. Clinton-Gore. Yeah. Because it is August, and, you know, there's not too much going on here. There's plenty if going on here. you had to bet <laughs> yeah, sorry. who the vice presidential... You know, so let's presume that, that Hillary gets her nomination, which I think she will. Who's vice president? Who's she picking? You have to answer. I think Bernie Sanders will pick Hillary as his running mate. Oh, wow. How's that for a cute answer? I huh? think O'Malley will so pick cute. Bernie Sanders really as cute. his running mate. Alex, <laughs> say something clever, will you? Say, I save mean, us. It's... You guys, it's me. Uh, there you go. Yeah. That wasn't clever. It's going to be a Castro. I think it's going to be a Castro. I, I say that like they're, they're interchangeable. Like they're All like... Right. Yeah. They're collect all three. No, I mean, <laughs> I, it could be Julian Castro. I don't know. I mean, I, I do think she is going to try and pick someone young, possibly someone of color. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's take a breather. We need to hear from you. You can tweet at us at Pod for America. 
So as you might be able to, <laughs> as you might have been able to tell by the previous conversation, we are in those slow, hot weeks of summer, the end of August, where just about any sparkle will grab the attention of a news-starved media. This is a pet theory of mine. This is one of the reasons that Trump mania has kept on going for so long is there just hasn't been that much to knock it out of the news, right? But we've had something to knock Trump out of the news. It is a young man from Iowa who got his name on the ballot as a third-party candidate. His name is Brady Olson, and he goes by D's nuts. So the backstory here... (laughs) Thank you, Brady. Thank you. <laughs> Spell that for our... Which is just a really classic. Like, if you could make, like, a fart joke also, <laughs> I would laugh at that, too. Literally, this guy, he... As I understand the story, he gets a polling firm to agree to poll him. He shows up pretty well in the polls, and this all just goes in this kind of utterly, completely ludicrous snowball. There's now all of these other joke candidates. I'm kind of delighted. I I don't know. Um, is D's Nuts going to be our next president, Mark? Um, you know what? I think the Nuts... Biden ticket uh, is going to be pretty strong or is going to be Biden nuts. I would actually feel irresponsible and wrong uh, weighing into this because I haven't read all of his position papers. And before I'm really informed on his his positions, I, I would I would really be remiss. So I think I'm going to leave this one to Alex. Here's what I'll say about D's nuts. My initial thought was, wait a second, high school kids are still making the D's nuts joke. I mean, do you guys remember the D's nuts joke for all I of you? I missed that. Oh, my God. So I first heard it probably my sophomore year of high school and friends would come up to me and tap me on the shoulder and say, did they call you last night? And you'd say, who? And they go, these nuts. (laughs) Wow. Really? That is the joke. Interesting. Are you going out with them tonight? Who? These nuts. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) It is literally in the Merriam-Webster dictionary under the definition for asinine. It is the dumbest joke ever. And I'm I'm just impressed with the staying power of of the D's nuts joke. Okay, so that's that's my initial observation. The second is, and I actually did a little reconnaissance on this because my favorite poll of the last two years on Americans' attitudes towards conspiracy theories. An overwhelming four percent of America believe the government is controlled by lizard people. Okay, you map that onto the support that D's Nuts has, which is, I think, 6% in South Carolina. And I think this is, these are concentric overlapping circles. People who believe in lizard people, people who want D's Nuts as their candidate. Hmm. Okay, let me actually, let me, let me offer an alternative theory, which is Iowa, okay? <laughs> Iowa, you know, perhaps might be an incubator of really, really high quality juvenile humor. For instance, there is a very popular chain of convenience stores around Iowa, for anyone who's been there, called the Come and Go. And just to be mischievous, they (laughs) spelled come K-U-M. You know, Mm -hmm. there's like that alternative spelling, I guess, in the porn community, which we have our next (laughs) guest. The the porn porn community. community. The porn community. The porn community. But it it is, you know, every time you go to Iowa, it seems like it'd be a a very Iowa-centric chain. They're all over the place. Uh, I remember in the last presidential election, um, I was driving with the one and only Maureen Dowd to a event from in De, from Des Moines to Mason City. And Maureen became obsessed with the come and go. And every come and go we passed, she would stop and buy like a million T-shirts and lighters and cups and like mugs and hats and everything. Of course, she was a very, very gracious passenger in my rental car. And she bought me a really nice come and go sweatshirt, which uh, I wore home, I think, after the caucuses and 
my wife then forbid me from ever wearing in front of the kids. But um, anyway, for, I think that that... For what reason? I don't know. I mean, look, I... Are I, your kids not part of the porn community? Apparently not yet. Not at the not at their tender ages. I well, cannot imagine if that was like the birds and the bees conversation in the Leibovich <laughs> household. Well, right? no, it's a spelling conversation. It's a, it's a matter of spelling. So... I think that, you know, maybe this just speaks to an advanced and frankly, I think, admirable um, instinct for juvenile humor in the great yeah. state of Iowa. Well, this is my my terrible confession here is that one of our Wi-Fi names, which I named, is Seymour Butts. And I literally <laughs> laugh every time I see it. Interesting. It is so wonderful. But all right, so I think I'm going to make a more serious point here. If you think of our other testicularly endowed candidate, Donald Trump, what, what he... Ha- <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Do not edit that. He no, don't don't edit that. That's a medical term. Yeah. He, you know, everybody expected him to be like a D's nuts, right? Like that, you know, after a couple weeks, his sort of vanity candidacy would fall apart, and it turns out that he's actually speaking to something that Americans want. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. He's not gone the way of D's nuts. <laughs> D's nuts merch on sale. <laughs> Where I, I need some. Honestly, if Mark has a come and go shirt, I need a decent. I do. You actually, you know what? Hat. I'm gonna actually now send you. I have the, a picture of myself in said shirt. On yeah, my that's iPhone. going on the Twitter. On this the Twitter is account. every podcast needs to be teased by a tweeted right. photo of Mark Lubavitch and some kind of merch. We are going to take a break from this nonsense for a mere moment to move on to actual serious news, economic news. Over the course of the past week, you had China numbers come in really bad. The United States stock markets have been diving. I think that this has been an interesting reminder after years and years of market quiet that, yeah, things can go wrong. The economy can slow down. Markets can go haywire. And this is going to have actual ramifications, even more so than figures like D's nuts and, you know, issues Mr. like... Mr. Nuts, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> issues like whatever gaffes, you know, that the, the, this is the stuff that is determinative. So, Mark, what's your early read on this? Well, my early read is, you know, yes, I mean, a lot of money has been lost in recent days. And the stock market is obviously a very, very big part of the fiscal lives of many Americans. However, I, I think we've sort of l- learned in some ways to watch the stock market as like the same kind of shiny object and ups and downs as we have the political culture and the sports culture and the celebrity culture in some ways. And, you know, you sort of forget in some ways that there are actual winners and losers here, um, except for, you know, just beyond gallows humor. Uh, I think the other piece of this is that because China is seemed to be implicated in this because of the, you know, because of the economy in China, this in a weird way plays into Donald Trump's message, which is that we are completely owned, we are completely being dominated by China. And here's another example of a economy rendering us even more impotent and this is what I'm going to fix. So, yeah. I mean, you can sort of play it to to his message if you want. I mean, he just he he had this beautiful tweet basically on Monday basically saying that the reason that the stock market is crashing is that we're taking all of our cues from China and we just can't let them lead the agenda. Right which I cannot even begin to parse. But Alex, nevertheless, you know, I do think that this is brought back up. We have been presuming that Hillary Clinton is going to come into the next election with the tailwind of a good economy behind her. And if things start to turn sour, it's like the next, you know, year basically starting now is is the time that voters really start to decide who they are going to pick. And, and the economy is a big part of that. So if you're her, are you really worried? I don't think so. I mean, look, I, I don't I, I'm not a stock market analyst, although I do play one on TV. <laughs> and I, I think that market volatility, I mean, 
everything that I've read is don't get too obsessed with it. The Fed is ending some of its monetary or winding down some of its monetary policies. The Chinese economy is to some degree a, a cipher. I mean, I think it's to Mark's point, the Republicans are going to make hay out of it precisely because it plays on themes of paranoia, nationalism. And there are a couple of people on the Republican side who have been touting their business acumen as their credential for being president. So Carly Fiorina is going to jump on it. I think Scott Walker will to some degree because he positions himself as sort of the gubernatorial executive and mm-hmm. is all about this sort of ledger. And obviously nobody benefits from this more than Trump. I think the Clinton camp starts getting worried when they see jobs going away, when it's not just about volatility on the market and it starts having real world repercussions. But from everything that I've read that that we are not at that point. Hillary Clinton is probably very anxious about this because I'm guessing that she is checking her stock portfolio. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Although I've always gotten the sense that they kind of they make it and spend it, you know. Oh, oh, they I, have a lot. They I'm, got a lot. In the, they I got a lot. Um, as I remember, they hold a lot of things in like money market funds that have like very low returns. Or email servers. <laughs> what does exactly. one of those go for? Say, what do you have to, what does one of those set you back? What is an email server? I don't know. Like 10 grand? It's cheap. Something like that? Is there a political no. committee pay? I don't know. Someone call up that whatever place really in sure. Colorado. Oh, goodness. This is, we are segueing into our last and silly section because so much serious stuff has preceded this. Next week, I am going to Burning Man. I'm going to come back a changed person. Just are you packing a wizard and- robe, Annie? Because I spoke to Grover Norquist about his participation oh, in Burning Man. <laughs> At length. And one of the things that he said he packed was a wizard robe. It did not get dusted off and worn, but he did have a lot of fantastical gear in preparation for his visit. And I wonder if you have anything similar. I can't similar. imagine. I will try to bring it back for you, too. That is my promise to you. I will go on a quest to get Grover Norquist's wizard robe if it is the last thing I do. No, I do not. I I have some fun stuff. I have my um, fanny pack, which has a space print and kitten faces on it. I think that that'll be pretty good. I got a a lot of silly clothing. I'm going native. I'm going native. So I was going to say, that means you're you're going to be naked the whole time. Yeah, probably. So (laughs) Ezra, you're going with Ezra. I am. How will it feel to run into Grover Norquist at Burning Man? It'll be so natural. And we will will embrace each other so openly. Yeah. This is a sort of conservative libertarian economic sort of dream, Burning Man. There's lots of techno libertarians and, you know, get your government hands off my guns type people and... I'm going to take all of my lessons from the playa and bring them back to everybody here at Podcast for America. I think that's probably plenty from us this week. Thanks to our producer, Jocelyn Frank, and as always, Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show, this show especially. You'll find us on Twitter at Pod for America. Our email address is podcastforamerica at gmail.com. We read every email that we get, so uh, definitely write in. Please also tell your friends to listen to us. You can subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. It helps other people find our nonsense show. For Alex Wagner on Mars and Mark Leibovich right beside me. On Venus. I'm Annie Lowry in D.C. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening.